been a while since I've been down there, but yeah, I was always a huge fan of Express Mail. Oh, thank so, you. Yeah, when well, I was at uni, I was always like, oh. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Um, yeah, lots of people had like that. You know, they were at uni or they worked or had a part-time job and they had their morning tea break on, and on that's like go and get it. So it was kind of like the. I always reckoned it too, like, you know, you could wake up on in weekdays and the West Australian was on the front lawn or if it was Sunday, the Sunday Times was on the front lawn or whatever. And it kind of Thursdays Thursday became like that. Yeah. Yeah, then, then late in the latter years, it changed to Wednesday. I always preferred Thursday myself. Felt like you're, you're already you're attached right to the weekend by Thursday kind of thing. It, there was a competitor, so the publisher decided to come out on Wednesday because it would be the day before the other one. You've been listening to the beginning of a chat between Bobby Gordon, myself, Stephen Eppers, and my co-host, Jessica Shackleton, on the Legends of WA Music podcast. This is part one of our chat with Bobby Gordon, legend of the WA music scene, reviewer and editor of Express Magazine, hottest thing in live music back in the 90s and early 2000s. Here's Bobby Gordon. Let's take it away. Express Magazine started in 1985. And I got it from the start and it, it started out as a little kind of like an exercise book size and it was very, very thin. I used to, at the time I was working in a bank and I played in a band, an original band, and I used to go out all the time. I was working out, what the hell, how the hell am I going to get out of the bank? That was. <laughs> what was the band name? Oh, the band name, yeah. it was the Commonwealth Bank and the, uh, <laughs> the band name was No Particular Hairstyle. <laughs> and we wrote our own songs. It's because in the 80s there was lots of peacocky uh, hairstyles going on. You yeah. know, reflection about that. It makes it sound that's almost smarter than it really is. And so I used to always get the uh, Express magazine and I was very into music and everything like that. And then I left the bank and went back to uni and I did a, uh, an arts degree, a media major and an uh, English lit minor and halfway through that I actually I interviewed someone at for a video production that some of my classmates were doing and for some reason they used to get me even though I didn't do the video unit they would get me in to do interviews be the on-set interviewer which was funny because I had absolutely no experience at it but they seemed to think oh you talk will you ask interesting things or something I don't know I would be just sit there and they'd film and they'd just get bring different people and then one day one of the guys his brother came in and he wrote for Express magazine and was the local music kind of guy and so I interviewed him for the um, assignment and then I was oh how, how could I maybe get into that so I asked the guy's brother and then he said I oh, send in a review or something so I, I sent in a I went to data records I looked at what they hadn't reviewed in you know in the last two weeks and there was a really well-known Australian band called died pretty and uh, their album Doughboy Hollow had come out, so I got it, took it home, and wrote a review. About a week later, the editor called me, told me, asked me to come in, and I and I went in, and I was just, I was SpongeBob. I was just like, <laughs> whatever, give it to me, and I would do everything I was asked. And then when people started going on holidays, like there was a that local music editor or there was an an arts editor. I would fill in for them and just be eminently available. And by the time my uni degree finished, a week later I was working in the office four days a week and then it became five days a week about six months later. So it was just set. And then from there, local music writer or local music editor and I interviewed all sorts of bands. So there was overseas and national bands doing phoners and then lots of local bands. And I wrote a local music column, which was called Rock Extras, 
So that'll be just sort of tidbits uh, about, you know, if they were going back when they were doing cassette launches and things. <laughs> then everyone started doing CDs. That's <laughs> how long ago this, this is. is. This is why you're here, Bob. It's yeah. <laughs> <To give laughs> a full long history. time. And, uh, or, or just to say they've got a couple gigs this weekend and, and stuff like that. And which, uh, yeah, it, it, was, uh, it ran over two kind of pages, sometimes two and a half maybe. But the thing was, this is pre internet and pre-email so everyone was either ringing up and giving me their notes over the phone or faxing it or coming in and telling me it was quite exhaustive because there was no copy and pasting and prettying things up it was all and you do need to rewrite things although mostly now with internet kind of um, blogs and things it's just copy and paste but it just felt with a magazine you needed to rewrite things for the magazine style and everything like that and so uh, it would take hours to put that that together but I just was constantly speaking to everybody who had you know who rang in or came in who had a band and even the stuff that wasn't to my taste, you know, there were death metal bands and really extreme metal bands. I got to know these guys really well. It wasn't really my thing. And I really liked the sense of being in that music community and that, you know, they might have had a CD and done an EP or it might have been an album and then I wrote something about it and then people obviously read it and went to their launch and it helped them build up the profile of what they were doing. And I felt like a, you know, a, a, a cog in the wheel or, or, you know, in the machine helping move things along. And then year after year after year of sort of doing that and you know and having a great time and getting probably more comfortable speaking to people as you can tell now and interviewing people and maybe thinking twice about just because you don't like how something looks upon appearance first appearance or, or sounds that uh, you know the people you meet the people and it's, it's it's interesting even often even you still don't like it and on you also you can see the value in things even if they aren't to your taste so just because you don't like something doesn't mean it's no good and and that comes plays a big part in reviewing and that people uh, often get into reviewing or that does seem to be a bit of a dying art go to things completely judge it on their taste seeing this kind of thing first up and not maybe necessarily seeing that well it's not to my thing but it's working for these people and there's obviously a lot of thought going into it so you know the whole thing where someone goes yeah i listened to it, it was crap you know years and years of work has gone into the apparently one word that uh, that is apparently crap mm. there's too much work going on for anything to be written off so quickly mm. um but also constructive criticism is, is also uh, an important thing so you know it was just just doing it and doing it and learning and making mistakes because also when you make mistakes in print you know you can't go back to the web page and fix it yeah. it's done it's out there and, and it's wrong and you will find out <laughs> so all of that does that come from someone looking for an angle to criticize versus someone looking for an angle to love the music is that where it goes you're looking at well, from a well sometimes uh, it's probably easier to expand on thoughts from a negative point of view because also in terms of writing pithy reviews in a free street press magazine, it can be easier to take the piss and get laughs out of coming from it from a negative point of view. So it's a lot of laughter comes about by taking the piss. Right. 
out of your friends, out of things or whatever. I would I don't know what the ratios are, but the laughing positive about positive things, like when things go right or something's perfect, how often do you you laughing about that? More li- likely to laugh about things that are going wrong or things that are, I feel. This is probably what I, where I've arrived. This is mm. academic. You're more likely to to laugh at things when they're being kind of taken apart a little bit, and it's how stand up comedy works. And mm. that we, you know, you see things in life and you point out that you know there's uh, inconsistencies and they appear to be kind of stupid. And then other people go, oh, I totally get that. Yes, and it's funny because that happened to me or whatever. So that's an easy route to take in reviewing anything in art or theatre or film or music or whatever, especially live performances and things, is to be overly critical because it's very easy to be. You know, that, that's been my experience. And I'm probably just want to find more positives in things than the negatives. I do find them, but I always became known as a more upbeat reviewer. The uh, other thing, though, is that I always preferred interviews. Yeah, that so. was going to be my next question. From a, a writing perspective, I, I've always struggled with reviews. I don't know what it is about them. It's finding that middle ground, and I, I could never really find, I, I guess, what you're talking about, which is sort of yeah you know taking the piece so, but you say that you prefer doing interviews over reviews is that probably just because of the personal or personality transaction and being called upon to have an opinion on everything all the time is well that's part of the job but then it goes into when you're just sort of out and sometimes you, you could be asked you know, because you've got a reviews coming out in the magazine every week about, oh, have you heard this? What do you think? What do you think? And, you know, you just want to go, oh, yeah, yeah it's pretty, it's fine. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> um, and that should be enough. But um, apparently, you know, you're paid. Top you, you're, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you're, you know, you're paid at other times to kind of be more uh, revealing and insightful than that. And, that, and that. and that's fine. But also just the longer form interviewing meant writing longer form things, mm. not summing up. Um, three bands in 400 words and trying to nail it. it you know, it involves conversation. Sometimes it involves a little bit of, you know, celebrity or rarity sort of thing. And, you know, you learn a lot about people. Some interviews on the phone are 15 minutes. You know, sometimes they're half an hour. Other times you're in person and you're seeing facial reactions and you connect more in the personal kind of way. And so I just found there was so much more to take out of interviewing and uh and i still really enjoy it to this day and i although these days at the moment i'm probably doing more like event work and i uh doing interview events that i've done at various venues over the last four or so years and did one at the bird uh during 2019 which was just called bird talk with bob gordon and beloved guests and that was monthly i did one at the place called the back lot and just wants to know who the guests were right <laughs> i my i have a question around like perth venues because um, mm. you would have seen them come and go and some stay established. Mm. Do you have a, a personal favourite that you think exhibits West Australian music? Well, of fullest? existing venues. Uh, yeah, let's go existing. Yeah. Or, or okay. Well, I, uh, Just, sometimes it's also about where you're, uh, where you travel to all the time. Okay. But so, so well, I mentioned the bird before, and I really just love the bird. Even just going there in the day, um, it's just that you know has a feeling of. Of life going on, but you're right smack in the middle of the thing of, the, of Northbridge, and it has this sort of rustic kind of feel, you know, and like a bit of a dive bar kind of thing. And then outside it, you know, it's nice. And then, but the gigs then are so 
you're right there. Everyone has no choice but to be right there the way that the venue is, is stylized or, or laid out. The last show that I saw, there's actually a little while ago, but it was like on the during the Wham Fest weekend, they had all the bands all throughout Northbridge and uh, at the Bird they had bands inside the venue and in the, the back outside as well. And the Floors played at about midnight on the Saturday and that was just kind of incendiary. It was this, you know, uh, rock and roll church kind of thing. Um, so I love, love the Bird for that. I mean, you know, there's been issues around mojos lately um but the week before those issues came to light and the venue shut for a time the week before at the wham awards it had won venue of the year for the seventh year in a row and there's a reason for that and now it's you know there's been changes and it's reopening or reopen the other week and it's just a good vibe at mojos on the surface as a rock and roll venue and a Fremantle kind of feeling it's it's great I uh, love the Rosemount in North Perth as well. Where else? I do. Uh, the local, locals in South Fremantle don't really have live music, but I do an interview event there every Thursday. And uh, and people play, I interview them and they play solo and it's Fremantle musicians. So they don't kind of, they're too close to houses to ha- have much any or any live music. So my thing is the only one. So they're not really a live music venue as such, but it's uh, a lot of musicians go there and it's run by people who've been involved in live music. And it's just li- a, a, literally a local bar called The Local. And I live in South Rio and it is my local. Oh, the Milk Bar in uh, is, is cool. And what, what do you like? I was, yeah, I was going to say, I, um, yeah, I, so I grew up in Fremantle, so um, in, in South Rio as well, so it's a good place. Um, so Mojo's was, was my go-to. Mm. Um, again, not going down the rabbit hole, it was just a brilliant time. I, I came, I was going around the same time as, as Kevin Parker and Pond and everybody was playing mm. and it was just a, it was a real, it was a real psychedelic sound at that time. Mm. I think it's still there. And Milk Bar is probably, in Inglewood, is, is probably another one. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's so nice to yeah. hear. You know, the, yeah. I'm on the right track with these oh, venues as I well. I thought you'd be happy here, Jess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. very happy. With, with that, do you want to, um, do you want to just... Go back to the Express yep. a little bit. Yeah. So you're getting into the reviews because we'll come back to the local mm. shortly. We'll go back to the Express. So you got in the way you got in. Then you became editor. You ran that for how many years, effectively? Okay. So I, or the publisher was the boss. Yep, sure. Um, and, but I became editor in 1998 and I did that until the start of 2001. Gotcha. And so... Uh, in the 1998 thing, the previous editor had to leave, kind of, uh, well, he was kind of fired. Um, and so I, suddenly it was on me kind of thing. I mean, I'd been around and I'd, I'd you know, seen and, and taken board many things, but suddenly, um, or actually it wasn't quite so suddenly, I did it for about six weeks without it being announced that I had taken over officially. Yep. So that was kind of a leading in sort of period. But the, you know the, uh, that that was uh, there's a, quite a lot to deal with because there was such demand. The magazine was very popular. You know there was n- no there was the internet, but nothing was really uh, happening or remotely challenging the popularity of a magazine that had been coming out every Thursday for uh, by that time 13 years or mm-hmm. something. And so there's a lot of demand on it. For in in the magazine um, and for it to work because it was free so it relied on advertising 
and so to kind of entertain or encounter or embrace all the fields that it ran. So even just with music, there's local music and that's the venues, but it's also bands who don't really have a lot of money to sp- or budget to spend on advertising themselves and would often kind of rely on the venues to advertise the gigs sort of thing. And if they were local bands, I, I really didn't look into if they were buying any advertising. I would just write about them because they were local and we were. Supporting local. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And But other times when someone's, you know, booked a, an ad or a campaign, you know, you, you kind of feel you need to look after them as well. And then it all comes down to kind of, you only got so much space and you got to work out how you're going to fit all of it in. And, and then also, then there's the national music industry or the or the major label record companies at the time which were seemed to be uh it's a different kind of world now but sony had the murmur offshoot label that had like ammonia and jebediah and silverchair who were just obviously huge and then the, the big four like emi um Sony, uh, Polygram, which became Universal, uh, although there's also BMG. There was sort of the the big ones, and they also had little offshoot labels, and they had like the, these budgets, and they would bring in like samples, and you know the, the nice people at Sony would come in, and here's our releases for this week. So these are for the reviews, and they're for you, and they're for you, and they're for you. So you just get them, and it was like it was pretty sweet. Um, so that's just the music side. So you got to like then do it. You're doing phone interviews for upcoming album releases or tours uh, that are both national and international. Meanwhile, we've got to keep uh, the local ball like rolling. And then there's arts coverage and theatre and visual arts. And then there's the film industry and local uh, and film reviews split between like art house releases like you have now or even at then Luna cinema and uh and that and then the blockbuster releases at the um you know the cinodomes or whatever uh so hang on bob does this sound like your dream job yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah i yeah no i was very into music journalism when i was studying at, Mm. at notre dame but um sort of didn't pursue yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, one. you know, it's the opportunities lessened, but also on top uh, on top of that was um, the club industry, and then the dance music through the late nineties, the whole dance music uh, sort of thing, and dance culture, and DJ culture kind of built up, and then Express Covered Fashion as well. Uh, and also from the club part was the social photos because it was a lot of people used to pick it up to see if the photo was taken over the weekend. That's and, right. And, mm-hmm. and so all these things would yeah. be competing against each other for finite space and and the size of the issue would depend on each week on the advertising and it was just trying to work out how to, you know, it was, uh, I don't know where I heard this, uh, you know, f- fitting... Um, six pounds of shit into a three pound bag that was <laughs> <laughs> it must have been an american reference i love it uh but it was all there was always too much and, and all that yeah. so you know you try to be equitable and also but you know so there, every week there would be sort of like someone's missed out you know did they didn't get in but you covered that big thing or they're you know, Oasis has got a half-page interview or something, or not that they came up a lot, but, you know, because, some, yeah, sometimes you got them, sometimes you you syndicated them from overseas writers, you know, or, or you know, you, you also we did get, do big interviews, but 
but it's kind of well, well that was available this week or you know why are the red hot chili peppers on the front cover well they're playing at the big day out and we got an interview and the big day out advertised and if the big day out buy one or two full pages it it actually creates um four pages for other things yeah. you know so um yeah, yeah. When uh, what what appears evil and corporate buying cool page ads was was actually creating, uh, you know, if you buy a full page, it actually on the on the spread, it, it, it three other pages are created because the full page has been bought, and um, and then when that happens exponentially, not exponentially, more, there's more room for everything, and that also included more room for local music and a lot of local bands who couldn't afford to buy a quarter page ad or an eighth let alone a full page so it was sort of like trying to just massage everything every week or just moulding plasticine in, in some ways on, you know the first album by anyone it's pretty much their life up until then and so it kind of at the very least it deserves is someone listening to it properly before they put pen to paper about it makes sense yeah, and, and yeah. then if you learn about the artist the story behind the song mm. and all the other bits attached to it then you can have context and it adds, mm. potentially adds a layer doesn't it and another mm. layer and yeah yeah so you start to interwove thoughts and processes to get to this thing yeah which is exactly. an, art, an art piece of that person whether that's music or something else yeah but, yeah and to and to think about that and consider it is um well, well, you know, a lot of people don't think it's that important to, you know, and um, but you know, others do. The dreamers. <laughs> no, I think I think essentially fan fan base is like that. They sit here and see something they love, and then they want to go further and further, and mm. they become all encompassing, don't they? You yeah. Know, whether that's yeah. movies, Star Wars, or a band, they just become obsessed and absorbed by it because it in, triggers something, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like people, you know, following AFL. We're basically celebrating WA Music Week this week. So a number of the tracks in our system will feature WA artists, so new and past. Yeah. So that's why I thought it'd be great as, you know, throwbacks, as they say, mm. to look at some of the stuff from the past. And that's where I got talking to Matt about Team Jedi and he's also another lecturer and everyone's connected here, you know, and they all, sure. as you are, you, you sort of get these connections and friends and links and know the bands and then they're connected with that band. Even we're talking about Lee Hunter, who's gone onto TikTok from yeah. Team Jedi and things like this, but they're, they're still close mates, like best buddies as far as I know. I saw um, John, Pratt John Pratt is a lecturer here who he might probably in maybe different department, yep. um, music skills maybe. Uh, he was at the front when I walked in, uh, the first person I saw. Uh, before I saw Steve Hens, before I saw you. Uh, and yeah, so he used to write uh, for Express in the 90s uh, and also many bands over the years. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. Steve Hensby is they were dating my cousin. Oh, okay. But I don't know Steve yet. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. You kind of <laughs> almost you know, kind of met him then. I was at Steve then. That was Steve oh, then. Okay, we... I've never probably... I have to go and say hello now. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. I know... I've been told by my uncle you have to go and talk to Steve. And oh, okay. I just figured we'd meet somewhere at some point, but I don't know. But now I know who he is. Okay. Yeah. okay. <laughs> I should have introduced you. We didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know. if I d Yeah, so he's yeah dating my cousin. That's, that's oh, funny. Okay. There you go. Yeah. And she and plays with him. That's right, yeah. And, he, and she music. played with Matt Geary and Steve in the Pink Floyd tribute Maybe. recently. Okay. <laughs> it just it's a circle, isn't it? it is oh, do you remember the band Superscope? Is that one on your list from one Yeah, band? I remember them well. So yeah. that would be 
my cousin too, Darren, was one of the members in that at one point. Yeah, the bass player. Darren yeah, Murphy, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah he was see? quite a character. Was he? Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Different he was, personality. He was um, a big character. Actually, I remember um, he. Uh, there were a couple bands that were friends of Team Jedi um, and they uh, ran their own kind of little cricket league in summer. Right. And they'd actually made a turf pitch at one of the guys the park across the road and they'd kind of manicured and gardened up a, a, a turf pitch just in the middle of an oval across the road. Where was this? Uh, I don't know. It was like, um, somewhere near South Perth or down... It was south somewhere. So what, they cut the grass out or something? Oh, they didn't do it. Like, it wasn't like at the Wacker, but like they, you know, for their cr- weekend cricket comp purposes, they they tailored up like a, a pitch. Mm. And so they uh, then said, oh, we should have a mu- musicians versus... Actually, I was going to say media. It was an express side. Right. And so they played every week and, and that, and, and, you know, we didn't... And I just remember being really sore, but I, I remember <laughs> Darren bowling and I'm me shitting myself at the crease, but yelling and um, calling me just a bass player, and, <laughs> you know, and then making, probably getting out for three runs or something. <laughs> and feeling very sore after the game. Yeah. Um, there you go. What a different time, huh? Yeah, that was 90s. Very different. So going back there, looking at Express again. Mm. So one thing I did talk to a couple of people about is the excitement generated for being on a cover of Express. It was a yeah. big deal to the bands. Just the local bands would just, to get on was a big, big deal. Yes. Yeah, it was. It was, well, you know, I mean, people say, um, um, I never really used the term because working there or, or being the editor of it and calling it the Bible would kind of seem a bit full on, but other people did. You know, yep. when you see, you know, I remember that that was the Bible kind of thing, and 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 so it, it carried a bit of weight and worth, and it was um, probably the pretty hard to get in in the paper, the newspaper, even though they did have a music section for many years back then. But uh, so, but but Express was the music uh, press, uh, street press music magazine, even though I had lots of other things, and also that was the way all across Australia there were the the main uh, street press of the day, beat in Melbourne and um, on the street, and then the drum in um, uh, in Sydney and um, Adelaide had them, and, you know, it, 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 and time off in um, in Brisbane, and and so that, you know that was, and they all had similar success and varying qualities, and and so yeah, the front cover of Express, the magazine would be everywhere. And it, it it became in that little, you know, the, the like the cover of Rolling Stone in the seventies and eighties, etc. Became like a mythical kind of thing, and and in, in in a more modest way, the cover of Express magazine did as well. So, so there was a lot of traffic for it, and and so you know there were like the the record companies wanting their big artists on the front cover. There was like you know film distributors wanting you know the front cover for the blockbusters or the maybe cool art house films or, or whatever well it, every every aspect like i said before that the the magazine covered there was all always pitches for front covers and they always ran up against each other and everything like that and there was also the fact that if it, if there was something more familiar on the front cover then more people would pick it up like a lot of people picked it up anyway but it was some famous entity on the cover that 
is more universally known, then more people would pick it up. So sometimes that would be a little bit of a, a combat to be had, uh, re-wanting to put a local band on the cover when, you know, there's a, you know, a new Nirvana release or name it, Rolling Stones, or, or, or I'm just thinking of those big names that everyone knows and also thinking back to the 90s when, you know, Nirvana were, were going or when after he, he passed away that there were still releases coming out and everyone was still absolutely engrossed by Nirvana or or Pearl Jam and all and all that so and obviously that was the record company spending you know if you got a cover or sometimes you'd, you'd get an interview with an artist who you'd always wanted to speak to you know and they're kind of we really would want a cover for this kind of thing and you know Personally, as a journalist, you're dying to interview that person and everything, and then there's all the other stuff that comes with it that it will just work. But meanwhile, you're saying, oh, such and such band, they live in West Perth or they're from Frio and they're releasing an EP and they're doing a launch for it at, you know, the Grosvenor Hotel front room, which was a, a, a big, a, which was a popular venue then, but not huge in, in terms of being a couple hundred people would go. You know they're they're pitching for a cover and they really de- you know deserve it. You know the publisher of Express Magazine had um, was a, a drummer and had played in a lot of bands through the seventies and uh, late seventies and and then kind of put playing aside to get into printing and publishing. He was probably a lot more open to the idea than maybe publishers who were just purely businessmen. And uh, when I was coming up. The editor at the time was very open to it. And then when I sat in the editor's seat, I was like very keen that there be a good number of local music covers. They also had to be shot very well and, and needed. There, were, you know, there was always photographers of note in the WA music scene in, in, in any kind of time. And, you know, they, front covers would need to be shot and uh, we used to have to put them in like slides, colour transparencies in, in order to be scanned into the computer kind of thing, all these, all the old technologies and everything. But it really, either in person or in Facebook or on Facebook or social media or that, you know, someone will dig out the, the copy where they had a cover, the, their band was on the cover and it could have been 10, 15, 20, 25 years ago or more and it, like it is a huge memory in their, in their life. It also was a vehicle where it did make a difference. They sold a few, they sold more of their CD, or more people came to their launch. As I say, it was in in, in its own modest form, like being on the cover of Rolling Stone. But you know, in, in our world here, and 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 earlier on, you know, it was a bit more sort of I don't know, villagey, a little bit, little bit more Perth against the world. Then you know, it was harder harder for bands in the nineties yeah. and around that time too go over east and play shows or to crack Triple J or whatever it was harder then. And so, you know, it meant a lot locally to have these kind of like uh, bold things happen and the cover of Express was one of those bold moments that could happen. I'm told that you would tease some artists when you would know that they were going to be on the cover, but you would sort of, oh, I'm trying to get you on, I'm not sure, there's a... There's a good chance, but you know, just there's a bit to go through, da da da. But you knew they were going, but you would hold them because they were so excited that they may know that they may be on the cover. Obviously, they've t- done a photo shoot or something like that, so yeah, they're expecting. Yeah. But you'll be like, oh, it's is this true? There's variations to it. So sometimes I would say that because I didn't want just knowing that things can change pretty quickly to just sometimes just pad it a little bit in case it didn't work out. 
if it doesn't happen, you'll be disappointed, but you won't be as disappointed as if I said it's 100% and then it doesn't happen. Other times, oh, actually, sometimes if, if people were a little bit too insistent yep. about it and, and just wouldn't let it kind of roll, like I'm kind of, we got all the things and everything's been done, the interview's been done, and you've given certain assurances and maybe, you know, they might be a little bit cocky about it or something like that. Might kind of like hold off until they saw it on the Thursday morning, but also sometimes I thought the nicest surprise would be not being sure and then seeing it. So you would and, toy with them a little bit, but in their interests. <laughs> yeah, in a way, in 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 a, in a way. But you know, a lot of the time, okay, it was like, okay, it's happening, and yeah. that that's fun. But there were times when I kind of like held off a bit because I thought it would actually be a more kind of. Even being told when you you know you, you you know something's happening, it's like oh there it is, that's good. But kind of not quite knowing, and then there it is. Generate that buzz, the, that, just the anxious, buzz. I thought that the anxiety, I the, thought the buzz anxious. would be nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. Right, that's all I've got. <laughs> I was talking to one of Matt Geary's friends. Team Jedi got on the cover twice. Yeah. And I think each time maybe you played with them a little bit. And they're obviously a lot younger then, and they <laughs> yeah, there were actually you know, now now that I do think there were definitely two other times where I knew it was all wrapped up yeah. internally, but for, for, yeah, for reasons of, of surprise or just you wait, it was reeling um, them, yeah, putting the bait out there, yeah, yeah. Ultimately, the, it was good news. And you've got to have your own fun too, don't you? Oh, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I remember it's kind of going on the topic a bit, but uh, but with front covers, um, it was actually a week when um, a local band called Three Orange Whips uh, were on the on the front cover, and they were very good friends of Matt's. Um, it was also that week my son's first birthday, so I uh, quietly had the art director, who was happy to do it, knock up like a, a mock front cover that was just going to be something we had at home for his first birthday. And in the previous week he'd been playing with a golden retriever and he beat him. And we had this photo of him with the toothbrush and um, it said, and the headline was Boy Bites Dog you know, Cooper Gordon, first birthday special. And then, so I had him holding this picture of him holding a toothbrush. And uh, and then it had like down the side who was in it. They were like big primary colour letters kind of thing. So it would say, you know, Nick Cave, the Wiggles, <laughs> you know, UMI, yeah. B1 profiled and, you know, like that. And yeah. I remember waking up that morning thinking, oh my God, what have we sent the wrong file to, <laughs> to the printer? And so, I mean, I stopped off at a service station or something on the way to work to make sure, because I just thought if like, it comes out and it's my, my son's first birthday front cover, that's very sweet. Yeah. That's not, that wouldn't have flown. You'll um, score historic points with your son that would never end. Yeah. But- Oh, actually, that reminds me of this, not Express, but I think it was Beat Magazine in, or it's probably in the 2000s, there was, their art director was finishing his last issue, and he was like literally sending it off to the, the printers, and he was flying to America, like, like he had a midnight flight kind of thing, and then he was just moving to the States, and um, he'd had a long and um, difficult kind of relationship with the publisher mm. and so they had whatever band on the on the cover but he'd done like an artwork completely taking the piece out of the, his old bus boss the publisher and had it like a really unflattering portrait of him and a few choice names for him and sent that to the printer so he actually did come out thousands of copies on the streets of melbourne meanwhile he's he's already ah. in a plane and he's in he's in america poetry Poetry. <laughs> so that that actually that happened. Yeah. Oh, 
that's yeah. beautiful, isn't it? Mm, mm. Very good. Pretty, uh, pretty hefty revenge. So we um, talk a little bit about music. Mm-hmm. What's the music scene like back 80s, 90s yeah. into early 2000s compared to, say, now? And, it, and it's obviously hard with COVID, but what's it like in, in WA specifically? Well, in every decade, people would say to me, oh, you, it's not like... It so was. in the 90s, it wasn't like, the, oh, it's not like the 80s. No, that was more <laughs> more this, more that. And then in the 2000s, people say it was not like the 90s and then the 10s to the 2000s and, and all that. And I haven't really heard anyone saying about the the 20s. <laughs> feels like 1920s when you say that. But the 2020s being better than that, because no one's saying the 2020s are any good at all. Yeah. Um, uh, Venue-wise, I always just kind of found that you know, in some ways there was never enough because you just want more yeah. and you want it to be more convenient. But I always kind of seemed to find that while everything could improve, there always seemed to be the same amount of venues catering to live original music and that, you know, they'd come and go, new ones would pop up in, in, in place and uh, take up a bunch of load or slack and there'd always be enough that carried, a good, you know, a good load of live music and often um, and ideally a diversity of, of bands and, and also being in the position where I used to have to write about gigs and, and help assemble gig guides and things and seeing kind of the amount of venues that were operating for live music. It always seemed fairly even. The thing in the, the 90s about bands from Perth getting any kind of national profile, it was much harder then. The bands who are remembered for sort of doing it then are like Jebediah and Ammonia and Bieber Loop and Yummy Fur from, from memory. But they, they all got actually did a whole lot of work as little indie bands in Perth. And then they were signed onto labels. And so they were able to fly over to Sydney and Melbourne and, and do gigs because they were backed by a label and mm-hmm. building up a debt as well but they were able to go over and do that whereas independent bands trying to mount a eastern states tour of any kind and you know it's still not easy when you do it independently but you know then it was just really hard just the budgets and airfares and and trying to book venues when you know you've done okay in perth but you're actually not really getting any airplay in uh, sydney or melbourne or brisbane or, or whatever um not not even with the a community radio necessarily, you know, so, but the band's ready to do it and, and wants to do it and everything like that. Accommodation isn't, isn't always uh, confirmed, you know, flying over and there's a lot of cats sleeping and surfing and, and that when it's meant to be apparently a, a tour, a right. band kind of thing. You know, there was um, Triple J, I remember, used to, if there was like the Wham Awards or the Wham Fest, they'd uh, cast a bit of a spotlight on, on others that they didn't already play. You know, so as I say, Jebediah and Ammonia were on the Murmur label, which was a Sony affiliate or, you know, a Splinter label. And they, they were able to kind of be recorded really well. Obviously very good bands, but be recorded really well and have a promo push, be able to play in, over East and be seen more often. But indie bands, like with a, a manager who's a mate and, you know, have self-recorded or self-funded their recording. And it was very hard to to get any kind of national profile and prohibitively expensive to tour. And a lot, there was, used to be a whole thing about, like, Perth bands moving to Melbourne and breaking up. And, you know, that was a thing that was talked about and like a meme in a way. Right. But it was true and it, it, it happened constantly. 
you know, as as years have gone on and uh, the online world has sort of become more of the 24-hour world and uh, recording and, and, and sending recordings from one place to another has, you know, the quality has increased and, you know, the uh, ability to build an online following, etc. Uh, that added with the likes of Kevin Parker, you know, a lot of the spinning top label, you know, since... And that's since 2010. The 2000s were building towards this. Perth is is another place from Australia where great bands can come from. Mm. Um, whereas it really did seem that people here didn't feel like it was just sort of more of a blockage from the East Coast, where you know the uh, where the industry was. The Sydney Melbourne access was that you know there's not really much coming out of perth it, it's a cover band city was the, the taint that that it was given uh, and there was a huge cover band industry in perth but there was also a lot of good original music because good original music can come from anywhere but on the east coast during the sort of 80s 90s uh, and it lessened into the 2000s that that whole cover band town thing and and, and also fair enough you know, people enjoyed the cover bands and, and, and things like that, and a lot of the, the musicians in those worked on original projects. But it was this unfortunate that, that it became not appealing attribute, and uh, sort of the East Coast industry just kind of like almost like through Perth mm. in this bin over on on the West sort of thing. That has changed. It's more of an equal footing now. But the whole record company thing has, has completely changed. They're not as as dominant as as they were at all. So. You know, now it's like a a, play, a playing field where it's it's more level, and, and Perth bands do get a lot of attention now. But the old record company model or major label model doesn't exist anymore, and they don't have the money mm. to throw around to record up and coming bands or or put them on the road. Mind you, no one's really on the road at the moment because of uh, the pandemic. Although we're starting to see a few little things, but as we've seen in Melbourne, you know, everything change can change in, in a moment. And even our kind of mini lockdowns, mm. you know, have, have shown that in any moment something. Mm. The venues get locked down and everything gets locked down. Everyone gets stuck again and don't know what to do. Yeah, difficult yeah. Difficult to book, difficult to budget, difficult to hire people. Oh, it's yeah, a mess. Exactly, isn't it? yeah. And um, yeah, so, and also, you know, Back in the day, bands couldn't afford publicists. You kind of need a publicist to get behind, you know, an East Coast tour and, and try and get your press and try and get you on the radio and, and things like that. And for years and years, local bands, you know, all their money was going into recording and then into their tour and now they didn't have money to give to a publicist to, you know, do the hard yards and get them the press and, and radio stuff as well. So... So it was very, yeah, it was just very difficult, and then it, it, it has, you know, gotten a lot better uh, over the years, and a lot more even, and 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 understandably so. And also, when there are notable huge successes like the Tame Impala being phenomenal, and then you know Pond, and 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 you know, and then more recently Spacey Jane, these you know, they seem perfectly formed everything, but every, everything has taken years of of hard mm -hmm. work and and everything. Also, the difference between now and then, uh, I think, is just the self-confidence of bands and artists. And, you know, I recall sort of in the 90s a lot, uh, if a band kind of kicked a goal, like maybe getting rotation on Triple J or landing a particularly delicious tour support or, or something like that, a lot of bands would resent when others kind of kicked a goal. 
Jealousy. Jealousy, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I'm sure these, it's human nature. These things still exist when someone achieves something that you want. But I've just sort of found it more in the, you know, through the probably mid-2000s on, that bit, bit more self-confidence and a bit more kind of happy for the achievements of others because it also kind of is an indicator that it, such things are possible where when there weren't as many opportunities going around you know, 25 years ago, it was really people smiling through gritted teeth about, you know, when when uh, another band achieved something that they, they would have liked or outright just yeah. saying they don't deserve it. Right. Uh, I bet you there's lots of little bitter stories there that come up yeah. in the past that would be fun yeah, to explore. I think <laughs> Yeah, I think once if, once you start, they, they, they sort of come up. And it's weird, even though I was, um, you know, had a, a mouth or a voice in the press... Like, I often heard these things, you know. And also the other thing is I didn't write them because it's, it's yeah. gossip and nastiness weren't what it was meant to be about. It you sell meant... them to Australian TMZ or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if only they were around then, could have made a fortune. Um, while, we, while we, you're just talking about COVID and the effects on the music industry and every industry that's, you know, entertainment and numerous others. Looking at what you did over COVID, quite interesting. Big change. You're obviously telling us you're a lover of interviews, but you obviously had to grab those and transcribe them. You probably never... Did you ever record and keep in all those old interviews from your Express days? I didn't keep probably as many as I wished I had because I was yeah. doing so many, like usually several a day, every week. And now and where are the ones you did? Oh, they're on TDK tapes in, um, <laughs> in boxes in storage and things like that. But also because I was doing so many, I uh, would tape over some. Yeah. Um, yep. There were some bands uh, like I still do love UMI, yep. and so they, uh, I never taped over those ones. But right. there were, you know, sometimes when someone was uh, new and uh, you wrote the article and that was that, and then mm. you know that turned out five years later, you kind of oh, wish I saved that. Yeah. But, but you know, you have your personal heroes and, and and things like that that would say. But I was just constantly buying cassettes kind of thing it was kind of this is not going to be room to put any anywhere how different is it, it now then isn't it you can just record it and oh, it's it so much easier you don't now. even have to carry it you just put it in the cloud if you want to put carry it in the cloud, it's a little yeah. pen usb drive yeah yeah um it, it's so much easier and your phone you know you can you know if you're going to meet someone to interview them you can find out how to get there on your phone and then, then, and then interview there, them and record and it on your phone them, yeah. spectacular yeah but, all right so in that you have been interviewing over COVID and some really interesting people. Yeah, well, so in March, April last year, when it, everything seemed to sort of come down and, and, and written work, you know, it was kind of felt like it was dying on the vine um, a little bit. So uh, my most re recent sort of larger publishers that I've written for, like the West Australian, but I haven't had anything in the West for two years, right. um, and The Guardian... And uh, the UK, last thing, Guardian UK? well, there's the Australian, Australian culture blog of, right. of the Guardian, so it all ends up on the Guardian uh, website and stuff. And so I was, yeah, mostly writing about big tour openers, uh, openings at, in, in Perth for the Guardian. Yep. Um, and and the last thing I wrote for the Guardian, I wrote several pieces of pre and post of the Highway to Hell uh, thing that, the street on Canning Highway. Yep. That uh, so that you know, there's March 2020, and then COVID happened, and uh, and then the music industry stopped, and that actually stopped a lot of my work because it revolves around that industry, and um, 
you know, I uh, it just seemed to be entirely too much time to start contemplating too much and going down rabbit holes. And I'm a bit, you know, I, I, I do that, and I was a bit kind of, you know, what am I going to do, kind of thing, you know. And then, you know, I was able to get job keeper or whatever, so that, like I was okay. But I wanted to do something, and one of the things I did, like I'd always thought about doing a podcast, and it almost, it's almost become like a, a, a cliche. And actually, there was a. Um, a sort of a uh, meme video put out year about last year about um, just because it's COVID and you've got a lot of time for God's sake don't put out a podcast and had various sort of well-known people adding adding to it like people from the project and things like that saying God's sake don't do a podcast which is pretty crap really but anyway I did one and um, it was called Hibernation with a capital N so it related to the ideal of notion I should say of um, lockdown or isolation because mm. also at the time in Perth we were in um, the main lockdown we had and uh, keeping away from each other and so I thought I'll do I'll, I'll stick with cultural people or musicians or creatives and you know speak to them about how they're going and what they're doing and so they were people they were local people so from like abby may or um cab Temperley to over east uh, tim rogers and tex perkins uh separately and people overseas occasionally how, how they were going over there and you know people who were musicians uh, Kylie Thompson, a uh, music industry accountant who was in the midst of saving the asses of half the music industry in WA at the time. And yeah, just, and I, you know, I'd not done a podcast, you know, so I had to learn a little bit about the editing process and get a program to, uh, to you know, to record and edit it all on. Um, and some were on the phone, other times I visited people's houses or when I was, uh, you're allowed to, or maybe down at, the, at, at a pub. Some were overseas. Jess McAvoy, who was was once from Perth, she was in New York at the time, and at that time, the um, New York was considered the pandemic, uh, considered sorry the um, epicenter of the pandemic, and she lived in Brooklyn near the subway. She could hear the subway cars rattling because no one was on them, and it was very interesting. And it was you know it was a good way for me to. Um, oh, and also Dana Reed, she was um, someone I knew from from the eighties and nineties, who was was at Whopper and Curtin and did uh, studied film and drama, and she's a director now, and so she um, directed episodes of The Handmaid's Tale and and Space Force, which was Steve Carell's thing. This time last year, it was one, uh, it, yeah, that, that's right. Yeah, um, it was one of the kind of go to watch things on Netflix, and so she had directed those. And um, so I was talking about how her year had changed because she was meant to be, you know, in, in British Columbia directing episodes of The Handmaid's Tale, but was in Melbourne in lockdown with her, you know, uh, yeah. her, her husband and kids. So it was a really interesting thing to go about. I'm used to interviewing creatives and culturally sort of embracing people, but with this umbrella of the, the pandemic mm-hmm. over the top of it. So that, I did 17 episodes of that. So that was a good good thing to get into and, and to be uh you know teach myself a few new things and also during uh last year when there was there weren't any gigs happening i was involved with a few friends on a project called the music real live sessions and so we actually videoed gigs uh firstly when there was lockdown at badlands and we did them on saturday afternoons there could only be 10 of us in the venue so everyone was hands-on and had a role and uh, Pat Chow and Tanaya Harper uh, were two that we did on a Saturday afternoon, filming the 
uh, live sets with no audience. And then as um, audiences and venues opened up, um, with reduced capacity, uh, we uh, were filming gigs. So we'd, we'd, we'd interview them on the couch and uh, myself and Donna Albertini was a, a co-host and producer. You got a bit more growth back then? Bit more growth back then, <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. My beard comes and goes, and and Greg Deer, uh, a, a musician of renown in Perth for many years, uh, was looking after audio and a videographer, Erin Devonish, and and so we did these, you know, uh, little chat show things with edited footage from the um, the gig appearances, and that was about ten episodes. So I considered that that's what JobKeeper was paying me to do last year. Was like, and both were new ventures for me. So uh, I was happy to have a productive year in a time where it was in many ways a little bit hard to be productive. Yeah, interesting. It sounds like you're made for podcasting and video casting like this. You love it, I would suggest, right? You, oh, you've I loved do. it since way back. And it sounds yeah. like a thing that I just I spent keeps... so many years talking that to do it in a more overt way, whether it be like a um, audio podcast or a like a video presentation, or and it's one reason I do more live uh, talking events or emceeing or interview events in front of audiences, is because you know from a lot of years of, of talking and also doing away with nerves about speaking in front of people, and you know because I'm not necessarily a uh, a robust outgoing personality. But, uh, you know, I, I can talk when it's required. And you're well and truly embedded in the industry, so... I, I do. Familiar. I seem to be, yeah. I'm <laughs> so not part of feel, the furniture. Yeah, Occasionally, like, I get sat on. That's yeah. right. You should feel comfortable, so... You know, I do. I do feel very comfortable speaking about uh, this stuff. The only thing is remembering. <laughs> I, I, I think I've remembered it. Well, that brings us towards remembering the Express stopped on your 50th birthday. Was a yeah, day? so was it a yeah, so May uh, in May of 2016, uh, the writing was really on the wall. Yeah. Uh, well, it was beyond on the wall, like the, the wall was being knocked down. Everyone worked so hard to keep trying, keep it going, but it, it was just you know when culture and the tide of the times is sort of against you. Yeah. It had gone for 31 years. The print edition. I mean, it still exists online with a different sort of. Uh, crew of people running it but the the kind of the old school how it was the the print magazine um it, it just you know we we uh had editions on an app and then we had uh, uh print editions and uh but we relied a lot on venue advertising and, and things like that and with facebook and uh, social media a lot of the entities that would advertise in a print magazine like express were simply doing their posts on their own social media platforms and especially facebook what they all didn't know is that sometime later the algorithms would change and facebook would start charging for these things and you mm. couldn't just naturally reach your audience but at the time to early 2016 this wasn't uh wasn't so clear and so yeah yeah it just didn't be it was no longer sustainable to to do it and also to do it to the quantity and quality or vice versa of how it had been done mm. and uh, and also you know business is business mm. and if it's not making money then and it's losing money then it's time and and so time was called by by the publisher and that was very hard for him but it was just a simple matter of it, it's not adding up. Do they have a swan song, like a big end of Express print or anything like that? Did yeah, they? well, we just sort of, um, we noted in the final few issues uh, about 
what was sort of happening. Um, I remember when time was called on the print magazine, but the app at the time was going to keep going and it was going to continue online. And I did a lot of uh, media interviews about the end of the era of the, of the print uh, magazine and, and television and radio interviews and things which was a really weird thing, trying to still sound upbeat about what the possibilities could be while it was very sad that this end of an era was was over. And so it got to the point where, okay, the the physical office of the print magazine was, um, we'd have to shut down. And so on June 3rd, uh, 2016, which is uh, basically five years ago this mm. week, there were two things that for me that happened. One was that the Express Magazine print office closed and the other was on the very same day I turned 50 years old. And neither of those things were in the years or whatever leading up with things that I was kind of like, wow, I can't wait till that happens. <laughs> can't wait till I'm 50 or, you know, or, or just the notion of, of this magazine that we, we loved and put so much hard work into and that people did uh, love at the time and in, in the day and look back on fondly now that it would come to a close at all, let alone on the day that I had this, you know contemplating that you know you feel like you're 25 or you've been 25 for a living mm-hmm. for 25 years and but you are 50 so it was a very strange day like mm. it, it um you know and and then i just sort of had to you know i worked in, in express in th- three installments over you know between well full-time 93 to 2016 and often uh, in the three installments there were two bunch of years in between where I, I lectured in journalism at Curtin and I worked at the Perth Festival and at WA Symphony Orchestra and freelance to the Western Rolling Stone and overseas magazines and like I did a lot of different things and um, I curated a uh, music exhibition about WA music at the at the WA Museum so I've done a lot of different things and I really enjoyed them all. But all of those things came as a result of having worked in Express back in the day and gaining a lot of experience. Mm. And um, so, yeah, so it was, you know, pretty sad when it, when it ended and also to end on, you know, on a personal note when you turn 50 or any age it was going to be sad for me. So then I kind of had to work out, how do you go on? You don't, you don't know how to do anything else. You're useless with your hands. Uh, so I, I have kept in the music and publishing in, industry, but got a bit, little bit more broadcasty and, and live event uh, MC work and, and stuff like that. Uh, and I'm always looking out for writing opportunities yeah. and things. And you know, and then of course last year, as I say, you know, like like a lot of people, JobKeeper was the last saver sort of thing, and, and now we're working it out. Apparently, it's a new normal, but it's not normal. <laughs> well, your new normal is working at the local, doing your thing on Friday nights, right? Uh, Thursday nights, Thursday yeah, nights, yeah. Right? So, so that's called. I had a, a little history of doing yeah live interview events, and and so they approached me some years ago in 2018, and I did five editions of it uh, about. Uh, local Fremantle music identities and uh, playing music and being interviewed. The hotel's called Local, the local, so Local Heroes just wrote itself as a, a title. Uh, we did five weeks of it back then and then I moved back to Prio last year. I said, oh, what do you reckon now that there's, you know, the venues are open, do you want to do that again? And they were very happy to. So since October last year, I've done 22 Thursdays of it. Uh, only you know, only stopped by. Oh, we had a break at Christmas, but then a couple of the lockdowns 
affected not one week but two weeks uh, and and there was a renovation one week and stuff like that but it's been very ongoing and so I've had people like Nick Albrook from Pond and Peter Bibby you know Abby May Jan Howells uh, Donna Simpson from The Waves uh, Carla Geneve and like you know many more and this week it's my birthday this week and Abby May is coming down and the tables are being turned, yep. and and she's interviewing me. It sounds very sort of uh, self-indulgent, but just in a, the culture of this thing that happens on Thursday nights, people is often stopped in the middle of what they're saying and said, "Was well, someone going to interview you?" And apart from right here and now, <laughs> that can't happen on Thursday night. I don't actually, actually, Abby contacted me and said, "Can you please just get him in line and get do him. a dress <laughs> dress rehearsal so when he rehearsal. gets on, he's sharp." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I think I think this will help a lot. Sort of, so and you know that's a really nice thing. You know, living I live down in South Rio, just down the road from the venue, and it's it's kind of villagey type thing to do. And um, lots of people come to lots of them. You know, not every week, but there's a bunch of people who have been to a lot of them. Get between you know fifteen or fifty people, and in the the garage room where that is there, which used to be the live music room when it used to be called the CV Hotel, that it works for both numbers. You know, we we charge ten bucks in the door, split it with the artist. So if there's more. That's kind of nice. Yeah. But um, and you know, we have a few drinks and a chat, and they play some tunes. I've been recording the audio of them. I am hoping maybe I can do a book from each chapter is one of the nights, and there's a strong Fremantle link. Like I we talk about Fremantle, so that's a, a plan. But I've had plans for books before, and I've not done them. So. I should um, stick. I really should stick with it and do this. Get do on it to Fremantle time. Publishing. Yeah, that's the plan. Will they do that? You reckon? Fremantle Press. I, I, but what I hope they'd be interested. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I worked in books for a while, Poffins Bookshop. Oh, cool. Quite a few years. Yeah. Oh. So I got to know quite a few people in that space. Oh, okay. Yeah, Fremantle Press is. It's a great starting point. You're there. They're local. It's, yeah, they do yeah. support things. Yeah, and the venue like obviously like the idea. Yep. Uh, of a of a book that's come out from a of a, a, a scenario or the the venue culture. Yeah. So we'll, we'll that's we'll a have rabbit to hole for you to dive into. I guess it's a rabbit yeah. hole, and it's also <laughs> a lot of transcribing again. Yes. <laughs> hey, you can use um, drag and dictate and your phone and all these kind of things. These you days. can now. You yeah. can, but I do find that um, as much as I kind of get a bit, uh, you know, nonplussed about transcribing, it does take you back to the the person and the moment in the interview. Yeah, okay. You're digging a bit further. You You're digging a bit further. Things. It's not just about the like the words on the screen. It, yeah. You're actually about the conversation. And also at those ones, because there's an audience, there's sometimes these kind of unusual kind of, you know, little, mo- yeah, moments and, and um, uh, exchanges. Interactions. The, uh, interactions. Yeah. I think you should do Personal it. Um, <laughs> that uh, between audience members and, and, and the person or between me and the audience. And yeah, I think I might, might make the book actually not just about the information from the interviews, but they echo the uh, evening on which the interview was conducted. So there's a little bit of a um, an in-the-momentness yeah. rather than just being biography kind of stuff, I think. It's a fun project. Books are brilliant, but they take a ton of work. They That's sound right. great here and even there, and you write one, but then you, well, you're in papers and one off for so long. So it's print media is one thing, and then books is another. And that's and that's why I would have some ideas or, or plans, but I'd spend all day writing. Yeah. 
and then say for, you know, in the office days come home from the office and then face the thing of like now I'm going to write my book I've been writing all day kind of thing yeah. and and that's also probably just being a bit lazy but also it's kind <laughs> of you've just spent all day doing that to come home and then yeah and the other side is you love writing you love music you love the venue so it hel- it helps that you're so passionate about it so if yeah. you do go down that path there's probably another layer onto what you do yeah and I've found that you know the more you do things the more things happen and these days you you are at a we are at a place where you can have ideas and enact them out in a you know however modestly and then things because just because you're you're committing some energy things things do kick in might not be huge but they benefit well they'll benefit yourself for doing it and yeah. then um if it, it all going well you know other people might benefit from it happening and then who knows where it can go but the whole point of anything is actually just doing it in the first place you know you, you'll never know how it's going to turn out see what you start. create and see where it turns out and how you connect with someone else and it moves in a new direction and exactly and exactly i just wish i was like this all all the time and you know, wake up in the morning and I, you know i just not good at i'm not not a morning person. <laughs> not, a, not a breakfast radio person, more of a no. drive. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so not a breakfast radio person in so many ways. <laughs> uh, well, that's great. I appreciate you coming in today, Bob. It's been oh, wonderful. look, it's been great. Thank you very much. Yeah, beautiful.